This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Radio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And of course, we are talking throughout this podcast about the coronavirus pandemic. Going out to eat might be among the riskiest things you can do when it comes to your chances of catching the virus. CDC study finds people who tested positive were about twice as likely to report dining in at restaurants the last couple weeks before feeling sick than those who were negative. We'll get into whether it's the restaurants themselves or are the people going out to eat engaging in other risky behaviors. Yeah, maybe the food was just bad. <laughs> if they all went to the same bad place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're uh, listening right now at home while you're supposed to be working, we hope you're pain-free because a lot of uh, you who work from home are now developing more neck and back pain. We'll get into why. Zoom spine, right? You Is that what it's called? That I just made that up. You, really? Mm, yeah. I like that. Maybe that's a thing. Zoom spine. <laughs> Zoom spine. I like that. Zoom the spine. pandemic seems to be creating a shift in where people live. We could see another suburb boom similar to the post-World War II period. I think I have Zoom spine. Yeah, crunching over those laptops, yeah. those company meetings. <laughs> Not even a global pandemic, by the way, can stop professional football. Nope. The NFL back. Let's get back to restaurants and why people who go out seem to be more likely to get the virus. Dr. Peter Katona, infectious disease professor at UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. So, doctor, are the restaurants the problems or are the people there already more likely to be going other places and hanging out with people? They're all important. There's so much complexity to this that we have to take an enormous amount of information into account. It's not just eating in restaurants, but is it indoor eating or outdoor eating? The indoor facility, is it well-ventilated? How adherent are all these people to non-pharmaceutical interventions? So there's a complexity here that makes one study like this need follow-up studies to really understand this better. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, one of the things that I was trying to, uh, in looking at it, it, it doesn't really address, does it, whether they were talking about indoor or outdoor eating? I think that's a key finding that was missing from this study. I was looking for that when I was reading the study. And it makes a huge difference. You know, outdoor activities, whether they're dining or anything else, is so much lower risk than virtually any indoor activity that that's a key finding that one has to kind of look at very carefully. So let's take indoor and outdoor and we can kind of piece them apart. Obviously, indoor is a problem. If you don't have good air circulation, we've seen what can happen and you're all in the same room together. Outside, much safer, as you said. But I guess the problem with going and even dining out is as soon as you sit down, a lot of people aren't going to wait for the food to come. They're just going to whip the mask off because everybody else has their off and they're outside. They feel safer. And then it's a proximity over length of time thing, right? If you have an hour or an hour and a half and you're still with people at a table, well, that's a lot of time together where otherwise you might not be that close. Maskless. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors here. You know, you obviously don't have your mask on all the time when you're eating. You're interacting with people at a shorter distance than six feet, whether they're adjoining tables or whether they're waiters or waitresses. So there's a lot of other factors here, um, and it's the circulation in the air that's really important. Um, so dining, risk indoors, a little bit less of a risk outdoors, but still has a, more of a risk than not doing it. You know, I, I've read a number of articles in the past few months about the use of UV lighting inside places like restaurants as perhaps, perhaps, 
a way of minimizing risk. Is there any validity in that? Uh, we've looked at UV lighting, and we just don't know how effective it is. We think that there may be some partial effectiveness, but what the overall effectiveness of UV lighting is, we don't know that yet. So it's still an unknown. You feel for these places that are just trying to survive, though, if it is a risk, and I guess all you can do is try and space people out as much as you can and limit capacity and just try and hang on through this. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't take this article as being definitive. I mean, they had a lot of household transmission issues. You know, they didn't specify when the testing was done, you know, subsequent to the actual event itself. Um, so what other measures, you know, how much ventilation there was in restaurants. So we can't take this study as being definitive to say restaurants are bad, but it's something that needs to be followed up. So curious, if they were tomorrow to say here in Los Angeles, indoor dining would be okay, 25, 40% capacity, whatever, would you go? No. Dr. Peter Katona, clinical professor, medicine, infectious diseases, UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. Working from home sounds great if you can do it. Now, some of us can't, but if you can, good for you. Anyway, people who can work from home have had to create a do-it-yourself desk on the kitchen table or around the couch, maybe. And a lot of these workers have started to notice more neck and back pain. KYW's Charlotte Reese talked to spine and neck surgeon Dr. Rahul Shah, who's based in New Jersey. He explained why people's posture could be leading to these problems. The way to think about posture, the way I think about posture, is posture is specific to each individual position we assume. For example, a sitting posture may not be relevant if you're laying down. A laying down posture may not be relevant if you're standing up, and vice versa. And it basically, it's all about how you situate your head and your pelvis and your torso to keep your alignment in a reasonable position. The goal when we're standing up is to keep our head located over our pelvis so we don't fall forward or fall backwards or fall off to one side or the other. And in some ways, that's similar to us when we're sitting down. We want to be able to sort of be able to look straight ahead and keep the head over the pelvis and not necessarily face plant to the desk or fall backwards, things of that nature. So, I mean, that, that's kind of the, that's the basic scenario. But whenever we hold any position for any length of time, we can have some f- level of fatigue that sets in. And fatigue, and when you become fatigued in a specific area, that's when you start to get neck ache or back ache and things of that nature because that's your body telling you, listen, I'm having a tough time keeping this position the way I would like to keep it together. And so that's kind of where we're at at this point in in time in terms of the epidemic because what we've been doing is we've adapted in whichever way we can, either sitting or standing or whichever way. And in those areas, some of our muscles may have been prone to more stress in those areas. Now, the challenge is this. During the pre-COVID days, say the weeks or months leading up to COVID, we all had our individual routines where we compensated for things without even knowing it. For example, we would maybe get up and stretch. We would go to the water cooler and talk to our colleagues. We would potentially go and walk up and down the steps or, to, or have a ritual around lunchtime to walk around. Or Everybody had some version of that activity that was built into their day. If you're in the city, maybe you commuted more, maybe you walked to the station, maybe you, you, you had more of a walk to get into your office or out of your office. If you're in the suburbs, maybe you parked your car in a different area. But in any event, you were incorporating additional stresses onto your muscles to keep them strong and primed, if you will, to be able to handle different loads. 
But during COVID, not only have we been forced to work from home, but we've been in lockdown in, in many ways. We're not going out to eat. We're not going out and socializing as much. We're not going out and being as active in general for the most part. Now, some people have been have really taken the bull by the horns and have actually been able to exercise and get themselves and keep themselves in good shape, but that hasn't been the case for everybody. And so if you look at that as your basic understanding of what's happening, then you can see how pretty clearly it's difficult to prime your muscles all the time because you don't have the same amount of activity, so you may be potentially straining your neck muscles and back muscles. And this is even before the fact that we're working a lot more on our devices now than we ever were before, because we are now texting a lot more. We are craning our necks forward and basically, you know, what's, what's known as tech neck, where you're bringing your chin closer to your chest and fatiguing the muscles in the back of your neck. And that's causing its own set of challenges. So we're, we're dealing with that. And that's an added load. And we don't have some of those other antidotes of priming your muscles with activity there to sometimes counterbalance that. So you put these two things together and sometimes people may have some more discomfort. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, right, it's been a few months now, so people maybe are starting to realize, hey, my back hurts, this hurts. Have you noticed any similarities maybe with patients? Has there been an uptick recently with common problems that you've seen? So what I've seen is, so, you know, it's interesting you bring this up. The issue is really this. Many people have been saying, you know what, I'm too scared to go to the doctor. I'm too scared to go to the hospital. I'm too scared to do anything. So I'm going to try and bottle it up. And so say somebody would have seen me a little bit earlier on in their symptoms, and maybe we could have done some therapy and some exercises to get them better quicker. Now they're coming in later in that process. And so we're having more emergencies for people that are significantly bad, but we're also having people that are coming in at a little bit of a later stage. And so as a result you have to do a little bit more unwinding because they're a little bit further along in that process. And so it's not so much that I'm seeing an uptick in this type of problem, it's that I'm seeing a slightly greater uptick in the severity of the problem. And so wow. yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, 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 think, I think if you really think about it as in, listen, I don't want to do anything, and in in... And here's the other part of tech neck or, or, or posture problems, et cetera, and I alluded to this earlier. The more you do, the better off you actually are because you're priming your muscles. So now if you're in a position of fear or you're in a position of lockdown or you're in a position of not being able to protect your ability to protect your confidence or protect your ability to use your muscles, you're actually doing yourself a disservice without even knowing it because you think you're doing the right thing. And that's, that's part of the message that I think is important for people to know is that if you can try to use your muscles, even if it's just walking for 15, 20 minutes a day, if you can do that, that does go a long way because in many ways we were made to be able to use our muscles in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Have you seen maybe things that could be the worst culprits for our neck or back? You've mentioned, you know, the difference between phones and laptops. Is there, you know, top things that maybe we can avoid doing them the wrong way? You mentioned looking down. Like, what can we do? I think that what you can do is take breaks and change your positions. Because at the end of the day, none of us are actually starting out and saying, you know what, I'm going to look at my phone like this all day, right? I'm not going to look at this all day, or I'm not going to look at my computer screen all day. None of us is starting from that vantage point. We're all starting from a vantage point of, listen, I got to get work done. 
I got to make sure I get on the computer. I make sure I got to get what it is that I'm getting done. I have to get it done. I have to help my kids with their virtual classrooms. I have to get my stuff done for, for work. I have to do whatever it is that I need to to consume the screen in whichever way I can. And many of us don't have the option of having six different types of screens to look at. You know, a big screen on the wall, a small laptop, a phone, a small tablet. We don't have all of that. So in reality, we adapt to whatever it is that is in front of us and we use what we have. And it's a bigger deal to change that up by saying, I definitely want to do work on the screen to saying, oh, I only want to do work on the small screen or a large screen. What we really need to do is be able to say, we need to take a break when we need to, and we need to make sure that we do something to prime our muscles because the work still needs to get done. None of us are doing this just because we want to stress our neck muscles or stress our back muscles. The pandemic could not only change how we live, but where we live. People are finding out that they really don't need to live near their office in the big city if they can work from their uh, home the entire time. Now, that means people are opting to move now to the suburbs and beyond. Chuck Kuhn is CEO of JK Moving. He talks to KRLD's John Little about how business is picking up quickly. We're seeing major changes in the trends, the historic trends of the, of the industry and certainly of the company. Uh, what we're experiencing now, post, uh, post the COVID challenge, we're seeing a tremendous number of people moving out of major cities and moving out to suburban and rural areas throughout the country. For example, New York and New Jersey, our volume moving families out of New York and New Jersey is up 180% year to date. We got off to a uh, challenging start in, in March and April, feeling the, uh, the pains of the pandemic. And then starting in May, we saw a tremendous shift. People were being uh, allowed to work remote, work from home, and they were deciding they don't have to live in these major cities, pay this high cost of living, and they started making change, and we started moving them out of the cities. There's a 1,000 new families a day uh, moving into the state of Texas, and the same in the state of Florida. 1,000 new families a day. My goodness. Well, if you're using a mover, people might be a little bit concerned about COVID-19 precautions and, and what cautions that moving companies are taking. What are you doing in particular? Great. If people go to the jkmoving.com website, they can see all of the best practice CDC-recommended protocols along with the JK protocols that we've added to it. There's also a number of helpful hints on how to get packed, how to get ready, how to prepare for the move, and how to select the quality mover for your relocation. Today, our crews are arriving at the customer's home wearing masks. They're wearing gloves. We're disinfecting our trucks daily. We're disinfecting the equipment the men are using. And we're doing our best to socially distance from the customer while we're working in their home. What questions are consumers not asking of their movers enough? What what questions would you recommend people ask before they hire a moving company? It's really important that the consumer... Um, get, I recommend a minimum of three written estimates for their move. And today, people should be able to use uh, technology to survey the home remotely, or they could have the, the estimator come into the home to do a physical inspection. But get three written estimates, understand how you're going to be charged, what you're going to be charged, and when you think you've selected your mover, take the time to go out, visit their location, make sure they're a legitimate company, not a broker. Make sure that their warehouse is clean, that they have uh, up-to-date moving equipment, that their trucks are in good shape, and most importantly, that they have uniform background-checked personnel that are going to come in and do the move for you. 
If you think a pandemic could stop the NFL, you are wrong. The biggest sport in the U.S. started as originally scheduled with the champion Chiefs of Kansas City taking on the Houston Texans. Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City even had fans, like 17,000 of them. A lot of people, but small for a football game. The game on Thursday, though, not without its complications. A lot of fans there didn't wear masks. Uh, with us is Super Agent Lee Steinberg. He represents Chief Quarterback uh, Pat Mahomes, who's the league's biggest star right now. Lee, is this safe for the players, for the fans? Could we see super spreader events? Well, we'll know that in a couple weeks. The fans are supposed to be wearing masks in the stadium. It's outdoors and uh, it's about as much safer than being in a small arena. And most of the games are played outdoors. So that's safer. But everyone knows that safety is the number one uh, concern here. And most teams are moving slowly. Here in Southern California, they won't have fans uh, with the opening of SoFi Stadium. And they're going to wait two or three weeks and see what happens. So this is a brave new world where uh, no one definitively really understands why we're still plagued with this after six months and why we can't seem to get a handle on it. So they're going to use the best medical advice and the the best science to make these calls. And we'll watch it as it goes along. When you talk to people, whether it's, you know, your players or, or some of the owners, does everybody feel the pressure coming from different directions? Because the players want to get out there and play. Obviously, this is what they do. But they have a message, also many of them, because we are in this moment that they want to convey. The owners want to have games because they own teams. Um, they want to provide the sports for people to watch, to give them something to do during all this. But you can't get anybody sick and you want your players to get sick because that'll derail the season. It, it's like we said in the lead up, everybody's walking a tightrope. Well, except for the players who have the ability to compartmentalize and when they're on the field, they're simply in that zone and performing at the highest level they can. And there happens to be real unanimity among uh, the commissioner's office, owners, players on taking a stand for racial justice and taking a stance against um, bad police shootings. So, there's fair unanimity there, and they are using, sparing no expense to use the most sophisticated forms of testing. There are doctors constantly at practices. There are doctors all over the game. So, uh, again, um, if, if you compare that to someone walking around the world, you know, going to bars and places where there are no masks, it's really uh, about as safe as our technology and science can make it. Do you think having, uh, what was it, uh, I think the number was 16,000, we said, out of uh, an 80,000 uh, seat capacity stadium, does that have a, do you think, a psychological impact on the players? I mean, 17,000 people, 16,000 people, still a lot of people, but it's not quite 80,000. We've tried to explore what the relationship is between crowd noise and performance. We know that loud crowds uh, can interfere with play calling loud crowds can make players uh, commit penalties but what happens with no crowds they're doing it in baseball the nba hockey 
and the performances seem to be just fine. But there's no question that there's a definite home field advantage and there's a synergistic effect between uh, fans being loud and, and players getting more uh, hyped up. So uh, we don't really know. I think that what you're going to see is a very mixed bag around the whole NFL with some uh, stadia taking time out until things get better, some experimenting, and we can adjust quickly in sports. So to the extent that the after effect you were talking about occurs, I, I do think there would, again, be a coalescing around the idea that you ought to have fans in uh, masks in stadiums. Lee Steinberg, player agent, founder of Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. The coronavirus pandemic has been a gift of sorts to grifters, scammers, and con artists. They latch on to everything, don't yeah, they? They absolutely do. They found all kinds of creative and nefarious ways to steal money from all of us. One of the latest scams is an email being sent to people informing the person that they have been recorded leaving their home and a fine of $59 has been added to their gov.us account. That's one heck of a stay-at-home order. (laughs) The drone outside, I see you. Oh, wow. Just in case you're wondering, there are no fines anywhere in the U.S. for simply leaving your house. You can be fined in some cities for not wearing a mask in public, but not for stepping outside your home. Scammers are also pretending to be contact tracers. A real contact tracer will never threaten you with a fine or ask for your credit card information or your social security number. And neither will we. We just say thank you for listening. But I've never understood who are these pe- who are the people who are listening to this? Who are the people I want to know who somebody calls and they think they're a contact tracer, they say they are, and then they ask for their credit card number and the person goes, sure, here's my credit card. Why would anybody do that? Why do you need my credit card to contact trace me? Yeah, I don't get that. Why would anybody, well, I guess people do all kinds of weird things. You're going to send me a packet of masks because I've been contact traced. Uh, The Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Find us there. By the way, Mike, can I have your credit card number? (laughs) 